So you're launching a podcast on Friday. Yes, on Friday, I'm launching my podcast, Sagittarian Matters. We've been talking about this for, for, for a little while. This is something you've been thinking about doing for a while, and you, you did, you did the, um, you've been doing the, the advice column for some time, and it's a, it's a natural transition to enter the podcasting field. The field. Yeah. I'm excited to enter the field. Uh-huh. I hope it goes okay. Um, I feel like we might, Liz Prince and I, I feel like maybe we said some controversial things. Oh. Well, uh, uh, in, in the upcoming podcast? Yeah, an upcoming podcast. Oh. The first one is going to be um, a long-ish interview with Michelle T., mm-hmm. who's a writer, and then some tour stories with Beth Ditto, who's a musician. But after that, I have more cartoonist interviews with Liz Prince and Noah Van Skyver and Justin Hall and Ariel Schrag. So... I'm excited. I mean, I just, the thing is I talk to these people all the time anyway. Yeah. And I give it, I want to give advice because I'm not allowed to give unsolicited advice anymore. So I need people to ask advice questions. Says who? Well, it says my, um, like my uh, personal therapeutic journey. I see. Is that I shouldn't give unsolicited advice because no one should really. Let me give you some advice. No one should. Yeah. Because um, it it would imply that you know how to live someone's life better than them if you butt in and tell them what they should do when they're not actually asking you what they should do. Yeah, but there's unsolicited – I mean, that, you know, telling me that nobody should give unsolicited advice is fine. But were you like were – you, were you jumping on people's Facebook pages and telling them how to live their lives? No. No, I just started kind of a new – I started like a new therapeutic path at some point mm. and that was – one of the things. And I was like, oh, yeah, that does make sense. So actually now it's my pet peeve when I'm just living my life and someone's like, here's how, here's what you should have done. Here's how I would do it. Then I get annoyed now. What does is, what is starting a new therapeutic path mean? Well, um, sometimes it means starting. Uh, sometimes it uh, involves uh, joining uh, an anonymous fellowship of people who have one thing in common, um, and they all follow the same numbered set of rules to recover. You're speaking so cryptically right now, but I can't. can't. That's really all I can say. Okay, some 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 kind of like anonymous coalition. Yes. Okay. (laughs) But I'm not an alcoholic. Okay. Do you have a coin? Is there a coin involved? There may or may not be coins involved. There may involved. not be coins involved. Okay, but you're start, but but you, I mean, what what you, what 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 happened as in so far as you could talk about it? What happened in your life that you felt like you needed to go on this like vastly different path? Well, I'm still on my normal therapeutic path. Don't worry. So I still have my private therapist. Um, the thing that happened is that I realized that I qual- I didn't know I qualified to be a part of this bonus therapy. Um, And then I realized I did because my mom has some pretty serious Mm. issues, Mm -hmm. as shown in Calling Dr. Laura. So actually, my rock bottom that led me to reach out for more therapy was when my mom found out about Calling Dr. Laura and was sending me some really aggressive voicemails, like kind of mean voicemails. And I was... um, 
getting upset. And then I was like, I think I need like a a support community or someplace where everyone understands what it's like to have a crazy or unpredictable parent. So you, you were working on the book. I mean, you know, you, you, you've, you've been doing other comics and, you know, in differing degrees of, of autobiography, but you were working on this book and you like, at what point in the process did she find out that it existed? Was it already out or coming out? Oh, it was out. Oh, you didn't tell your mom that you had a book come out? No. Because it was so personal? Yeah. Well, everyone along the way had said, you know, you have to tell your mom at some point. You have to tell your mom at some point. Yeah. Because if you recall, I worked on the book for five years. Mm -hmm. So there was a a lot of, I saw five years of dread of her finding out. Yeah. And um, I didn't want her to rattle my cage while I was working on it. Because I knew I wanted to finish it no matter what she thought, but I didn't want her to get in my head before that time. So I didn't tell her. Then I had a legal read through with the lawyer from Houghton Mifflin. Hmm. It was like asking me questions. Ultimately, like when I signed my contract with Houghton Mifflin, they said, is your mom a litigious person? (laughs) Cause they wanted to know if she would sue them. Um, then I found out actually a few weeks ago that she considered suing me when it came out. But uh, uh, the legal read-through, they told me that I was within my rights. So then the book came out, and I said, hey, Mom, I did a comic about the dad thing. That's what I said, which is true. Mm-hmm. And she said, art therapy can be so powerful. Oh, that's, a ni- that's nice. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And, and I think she was Googling me one day mm-hmm. for fun. And then she found the description of the book. And she was not very happy about it. Yeah. So she left me a one-star Amazon review (laughs) without reading the book. (laughs) And started leaving me some pretty hostile voicemails and, like, weird cryptic. I had to block her on Facebook. Like, things got kind of dark for a minute, at which point I expanded my therapeutic journey for a little more support. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... And so I had to say, you know, mom, I didn't, I didn't write this to hurt your feelings and my feelings are hurt too. And I wrote this to get over this thing because no one was helping me get over it. And, and I love you and that's it. And then she read the book and then she apologized for everything kind of. Oh, did you talk, did you, did you talk through it at all after she actually read the thing or was it just like, okay, let's move past this. Um, you know, even though she apologized at the time, like she read it and she said, you know, I'm sorry and I'm humbled and I love you. Uh, Even though that happened, she will still now bring it up in a passive aggressive way. Mm. Like she'll call it her favorite book. (laughs) You made air quotes. Does she make air quotes? She'll be like, oh, are you talking about my favorite book? I see. She'll say that kind of thing or... Or she'll make weird comments about me um, singing like a canary or squealing like a pig or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or she'll refer to it as a fairy tale to my sisters, and they'll be like, "Mom, actually, it's pretty. It's pretty accurate. It's not a fairy tale. It's true." Do you do you think she feels like it, you fabricated a lot of it? No, I think that she thinks she should have gotten a better. I remember. I'm remembering now. The text she sent me was like. Oh, I read your book about your pathetic life. Uh, 
and you should have written about how much the Georges family loves you. You and your sisters just wait. I'm going to write my own book. Oh, good. Telling my side of the story. Yeah, see if you'll be on my podcast when that book comes out. So I'm gonna, I'll give my mom your, your <laughs> info. She writes her side. So I think that what she wanted was for me to write a book that said, like, I had the best mom. Yeah. This thing happened, but it was for the best because she's the best mom. And my whole family is the best. And I didn't need a dad anyway. The end. That sounds like a great book that I would have enjoyed reading. But, I mean, you know, the thing about it is, like, you know, and then, and then it's not even passive-aggressive so much as it is aggressive saying something like your pathetic life. But, I mean, if, if anything, like, that's a sign of your honesty, right? That you were like, this is all the kind of shit that I was going through, and this is how low I was at that point. Yeah, I mean, I I feel very grateful that I'm not a drug addict yeah. based on the way that I grew up. So, I mean, truly I'm a cartoonist and I embarrass her, but you know, I could be, I could be a junkie stealing money from her. I don't Wait, know. you, you embarrass her because you're a cartoonist or because uh, of what you make? Because of what I make. Okay. But the fact that you're drawing comic books for a living isn't upsetting to her in and of itself. No, I think she's actually proud of me in some way. Oh, the weird thing is, Brian, Yeah. since the book has come out, something's happened over the past year or so, which it's gotten a little bit more something, attention. It, it's been out for a couple of years now. Yeah. Yeah. In the past year or so, it's gotten more attention. And so all these relatives that acted so weird to me my whole life have now started to like be impressed by the fact that they think I might have some kind of cultural cachet. Mm-hmm. And so now they're coming around. Like the same uncle who my mom was going to sue me with, my uncle who's a lawyer, is now like my Facebook friend and is like, so proud of you. Seems like your life's going great. Huh. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Has, has, it, has it brought you closer together with your mom at all in any weird way? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> you were forming the sound of a no, so I just... <laughs> Let me use my thinking noise yeah. as my answer. Mm, yeah. No, but it. I mean, it you're, was you're talking through stuff that maybe you weren't talking through before, at the very least. It, it's helpful for me. I can't remember if I told you this before, but before I decided to do the book, I asked a psychic if I should do it. I think you did, yeah. And she said that thing. She said, no matter. She's like, you should do the book now, and it will take you somewhere with your family you need to go, whether it's good or bad. And so I feel like it, it did. Like it. This secret, everyone needed to talk about it. My sisters needed this weight off their shoulders. Everyone needed to see how it felt to be the brunt of the secret. Mm-hmm. Like my my story. Um, so it was helpful, and it's great that I could talk to my mom about that a little bit, but I don't choose to... It's such like a painful thing for her that I don't choose to go back there all the time because I don't get any emotional um, healing necessarily from dragging her through it again you understand why people are skeptical about psychics when they tell you something like this is going to take you on a journey and it may be good or it may be bad (laughs) well i I have to say the question i had asked her was should i do this book now or wait until i'm older Mm. and she said if you're ever going to do it the times now yeah and it's going to take you somewhere i understand that sounds a little bit vague but um I th- it felt tr- it felt very true to me. It felt like okay, 
this is it. I'm not going to wait till I'm 50 years old and have more perspective. Like this has to happen now and it will change my life. And then it did. It's been a while since I've, I've read the book. How, how far were you from the, the source material? Not that far. Like I got, I started working on the book proposal in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I found out, I visited the psychic in like probably 2003 mm. or two, 2003 probably. And also all the events in the book for the most part, except for the epilogue happened between 2003 and 2005 or six. So it wasn't that far. It was only a few years after the initial thing. And so I kind of had this thought, oh, I should wait until I'm a middle-aged woman and have some perspective and everything's shaken out. I, I, you know, I, I like that the, the, um, the psychic was, was kind of the callous for it. I mean, do, do you, do you look at, um, things like, you know, like, uh, like programs like Dr. Laura or like advice, uh, columns and psychics, are those kind of all in the same general category for you as far as like, just like seeking life help? They're not because advice feels less dangerous. Um, because um, advice offers kind of a structure under mm-hmm. which to live. Like, here's right, here's wrong. Here's how to be a good person and do the right thing. Like, here's how to judge yourself. I'm always looking for more ways to judge myself. Just, like, to be a little bit more rigid and a little bit harder on myself. So it's like, here's the thing you should do, and if you do anything less, you can, you know, hit yourself on the back with a read or something. Mm-hmm. Where psychic is more, you know, like a psychic telling me my father was alive fucking turned my life upside down and just like shook it out and fucked me up. Sort of, it was so crazy that now I'm very wary of psychics. Hmm. You know, and also like if somebody tells you something's going to happen, you always have it in mind whether or not it happens. So the psychic I saw when I was 22 who told me the thing about my dad also said, you're going to get married when you are like 26 so when I was 25 and a half, I was dating a total dirtbag, but I felt this pressure. Where I was like, oh, shit. Like, or maybe I was 26 or whatever age I was. I was like, I, why do I feel like this time clock that I have to get married now? And I was like, because the psychic told me that I had to get married. Mm. And now I'm looking at this weirdo that I'm dating being like, should we get, should we get married? So, it, it's, so it's, it's like it's almost more constraining in its vagueness in, in a way. Yeah, or even things that are that specific, like this year, this is going to happen. Yeah. Like, they also, she also told me I'd have three pregnancies with only two children. So I'm constantly haunted by the idea that I am destined to have a miscarriage. But you're kind of out of the woods there, right? <laughs> I'm not out of the woods. I'm only 35. I get knocked up several times between now and when I am uh, frigid or uh, barren. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I wasn't speaking physiologically so much as other things. <laughs> no, I could, I mean, who knows what will happen? I guess that's fair. <laughs> um, you might see me traveling the world with just my dog right now as a single person yeah. who's late to text with you because I'm on Tinder. Sure. But I could get knocked up so many times. And I guess this, I assumed talking to a woman on Tinder, but that's... I was talking to a woman on Tinder, but you know. Yeah, but you never know. No, that's that's right. You never know. 
You never know. You can sit on a toilet seat or anything. That's right. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, though, you know, that, that uh, sort of getting advice from these external forces from people in a lot of cases that you um, have never met or if you have met you don't really know, it, it kind of ties in with this, as we were talking about before, this need for you to give advice to others. I mean, how do those, do those, do those two phenomenons develop together? Wait, what do you mean? Well, like, 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 you know, it's, I, you know, I, I suppose I tend to think of people, I, I, this is probably very incorrect, but I, I tend to people think, think of people as uh, following, um, you know, one of two models where either you are the sort of person who is actively seeking advice or you're actively giving advice. I think about somebody like, you know, Dr. Laura, for example, and I don't know, again, this is all public persona, but I don't imagine she's necessarily the sort of person who is acting, actively seeking the advice of others because she at least, you know, portrays this image of a very confident person. Mm-hmm. I... So you're wondering, with, well, it's just well, interesting that you've got these, two, you know, you've you've got these two kind of, in a way, defining characteristics, and and they're in a sense polar opposites. Yeah, well, I I contain multitudes, man. Well, no, that's I, fair. I just I've always loved advice so much. Yeah. Basically, anything I've ever I've loved that much, I've won. I always think like, could I do this? Like when I'm watching. The Amazing Race, or I'm watching TV mm-hmm. and someone's on a show doing something like skydiving. I'm like, could I do this? Yeah. Or if someone's on um, American Idol, I'm like, could I sing this song well enough to be on American Idol? Okay, but, so, but stop, but stop right there. Yeah. So have you have yeah. you skydove? No. And when was the last time you you sang a song on stage? I mean, a few weeks ago. Okay, all right. So that's a little but bit I, closer. I, I've done a lot of other things that they do on The Amazing Race, mm-hmm. like running through an airport with a backpack on. So, <laughs> but so, but so in that way, when I read advice columns, I was always like, I love this so much. Yeah, I wish I could have an advice column. But did, but did you feel like you th- there was something about you? Did you feel that you would, would be particularly good at giving advice to others? I think so because I actually really used to enjoy giving unsolicited advice. I see. Until this new life path. I always felt more I'm I feel a little bit more rigid than a lot of the people I know. Mhm. As well. And so I don't mind telling people like I feel morally rigid like I'm like this is manners. This yep. is the right way to do things. This is the way to conduct yourself. So sometimes people want that. People that have less structure or less boundaries, whether or not they follow it. They like to know that perspective. Like, what is the extreme of this? Like, what is the exact right thing to do? I might, I might get it like forty or sixty percent, but what is? So, um, so manners, manners are an interesting example because manners are something that at some point you probably read a book about. You know, they, these are things that are again, like in a lot of cases, well established in society. So you can kind of take that knowledge and theoretically impart it upon others. But, you know, when you're talking about, um, real world situations, when you're talking about the, you know, the specifics of people and when you're talking about, you know, things like sex, I mean, it's not quite as defined. You've got to kind of make that up on the fly. Right. 
Sometimes. But some things I think are just human decency. Mm. You know? I don't know. So like I, so what, okay. what so what 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 kind of advice are you giving out in the new show? What's what's the structure of the new show? Because you mentioned these these interviews that you're doing. Are you you're not giving? Are you giving like Liz Prince advice during the conversation? No, Liz and I are giving advice to callers. Oh, okay. So, for most of the episodes, mm-hmm. it is me having a conversation with someone who is involved in an artistic pursuit as their primary profession. Mm-hmm. So cartoonists, musicians, writers. Um, and we're talking a little bit about the process of that or what it looks like. Um, we're just talking as friends, and then we take an advice call. So that exists, mm-hmm. or the advice or message. And then we also have, I also have segments where I have people telling tour stories. And I also have some segments in there of my friend Morgan and I reviewing expired food that she has acquired from her job at a grocery store. So you're eating expired food on the show? Yeah, yeah. What's, um, do you, I was gonna, I guess you can't really, well, I, maybe you can call it a spoiler. Maybe, maybe that's I exactly, maybe, I mean, maybe you should call it a spoiler. That's what the whole thing, that's, that, that segment should be called spoiler. Spoil, spoiler. Yeah. Are you gonna, can you spoil some of the spo- spoiled foods? Somebody sent me some biscuits from Japan in 2011 that have what appears to be my face on them, and a fan sent them. And so I've kept them on my desk for many years, but never thought of eating them. So we mm. cracked them open. What do you taste One like? One of them tasted like, uh, like mothballs uh-huh. or like rancid dust. Yeah. <laughs> but the other one Morgan really liked. Um, interesting. We also try yeah. paleo cookies. We try superfoods like goji berries. Yeah, spoiled um, goji berries. We try vegan tuna, which was surprisingly disgusting. Um, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not that surprising, particularly spoiled Adelphi, vegan tuna. Yeah. But, but, you're, but if it's like from the supermarket, it's, it's not like it, you're not going to get botulism probably. No, I mean, most of the stuff, it's just that she got it for free because it was gone by one day. The, the cookies that I brought to the table yeah. were the oldest the oldest thing by far. Well, let's talk about the cookies because, you know, as somebody who believes in fortunes and there's a lot of different ways of telling fortunes there, are, you know, there are tea leaves, things like that. I'm just wondering like if you, if you read a lot of symbolism into the fact that you were not only eating your face, but that you tasted like spoiled mothballs. To be clear, the cookie itself looked like a puck. Uh-huh. My face was just advertising the puck. I see. So I feel like, you know, let, let's look into it. Let's say yeah. time of the essence. Okay. You can't wait on things. Do you think that that, do you think that that hockey puck might've tasted good at some point? I bet, I bet if it was even within five sure. years of when it was manufactured, yeah, that cookie would have tasted totally decent and healthy. If you were a cookie, what would you taste like? Oh, me? Yeah. It would be like an awesome, an awesome cookie. Yeah. Okay. I would be... This cook, this cookie that they had at the um, co-op in White River Junction, Vermont, mm-hmm. called a cowboy cookie mm-hmm. that was pretty sugary and had some oats and chocolate chips. So sweet and hearty. Sweet and hearty, but you know what? Let's put some raisins in there. Oh, and a couple nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is hearty. It can really last you through the day, but it's, also, it's so sweet. Yeah, and it's full of nuts. 
<laughs> it's full of chock full of nuts. Uh, so 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 some it's, it's a toothsome cookie. So so you you had uh, you had Liz on you had Noah on um, and you've you've done these ep- episodes these are in in the can as they say these, in the business these are in the can. Um, who gave the best advice? Michelle T gives incredible mm-hmm. advice. Oh, I also have um, Sarah Shapiro who does a show called Unreal. Ellen Forney and Megan Kelso oh. give a little bit of advice. Uh-huh. Kelly Fro gives a little bit of advice. Did you do a lot of these in, in France? No. Um, the only one I did in France is Noah. And then also an illustrator from England named Stephen Collins I talked to in France. Because he had a really good story about coming to America for the first time, right at the same time as an American actor named Stephen Collins got outed as a pedophile. <laughs> and so his trip to America was pretty kooky. Oh, wait. Is that the Seventh Heaven guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fun. That's People fun. were tweeting at this illustrator yeah. being like, kill yourself. Oh. You were faster. What did you do? Yeah. Um, and he was also, that, but that guy from Seventh Heaven, he also used to be on Star Trek. Oh. But so this guy got booked, my friend got booked at New York City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. But then I guess all of the advertising stuff for his appearance, they used the other Stephen Collins. Oh. No. They got the next stuff. <laughs> That would be unfortunate under any circumstances, but particularly after like that weird. The week. Yeah. The week that a kid, he was like, hey, he's a pedophile. Yeah. P- a pedo, I think they call it in England. So who gets the best advice? Um, I give pretty good advice. Well, we're I know taking you out of the equation. You have an advice show and have had multiple. But what, <laughs> well, okay. Well, what, what, is it, what is it about your advice giving that's so terrific? Because I don't say maybe. Hmm. There's huh. people that are too concerned with the repercussions of their advice. Like, well, maybe you could do this, like, too wishy-washy. Shouldn't, you, you, be, shouldn't you be concerned with the repercussions of your advice? No. You sh- I'm not telling them anything bad. I'm not saying, like, definitely kill yourself. You know what? Yeah. You're right. Definitely do that. I'm saying, um, you know, be kind to people, be a responsible human, and also take care of yourself first. Have you given advice that you've regretted? Um, I've given advice that was the wrong advice. Yeah. <laughs> like I have, I have several friends whom I have advised over the years. Like I have a, my friend, I have a friend, I will not say his name. He started dating this girl in about 2001. This is Stephen Collins. His name's Stephen Collins. Mm-hmm. He started dating her in 2001. She stopped dating him to date someone else and then came back to him. And I was like, no way. Yeah. Nah, you know what? Like, she should have chosen you the first time. I think you shouldn't date this person. Well, guess what? They've been life partners for, hmm. how, like, 14, 15 years. They have a child together. And um, I think that they're going to be together for their entire life. But do you feel like that was bad advice? I, I understand why you would give that advice. Like, that often doesn't work out well. So, So was the advice inherently bad? Or, I mean, this is kind of the problem with giving advice to people. I mean, at least in this case, you had some context for it, but when you're just giving kind of advice to people you don't know, it's hard to really know the, you know, the the circumstances that surround the decision. I think that people get too mired in the emotions of it. Like, that's Mm -hmm. why it's hard to make a decision in the moment, because you see all the weird little working parts. It's kind of like when you're dating somebody who's bad for you, 
but you know their life story and you know what a good heart they have somewhere beneath all the bullshit. But then you can tell somebody else who's not close with them, who just sees the bullshit and sees how it's affecting you. Does that make sense? So, like, it doesn't matter if the person was, like, beaten like a dog as a child and has really great intentions. If they're being cruel to you, that's all you need to know. Hmm. Like, they can go, a lot of people had a bad childhood. Guess what? Uh, And they are not cruel. So that person could go to therapy and try to date you again. But in the meantime, you know, hit the road. Yeah, but there, I mean, there are, there are a lot of moving parts in any relationship, obviously. So oh, yeah. people have to tailor it to some degree. But it's, I was going to ask you before, like, what it was specifically about Dr. Laura, but I think you've answered my question there, which is the, the lady does not fuck around. She does not fuck around. I like, just like the dog, I like the dog whisperer. I like Dr. Laura. I even like Dr. Drew, and I actually agree with Dr. Drew the least of those three people. Um, but <laughs> less than than the dog whisperer. Well, I, Caesar Milan, I believe in wholeheartedly. Yeah. I also believe that he had an affair with Jada Pinkett Smith, but that's a separate Nicole George's conspiracy theory podcast. Huh. Um, she she is the one that bought him English lessons so that he could go on to be the dog whisperer. He didn't know any English before he met Jada Pinkett Smith. Does she know Spanish? Or did they no, she like paid for a tutor. They just knew the language of love. They knew the language. He washed her limousine, yeah. and they became quote unquote friends. And then she paid for him to have intensive English lessons. You don't think that uh, Jaden or Willow could be? Oh, Milan's no. Yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> no, those are very much Will Smith's children. Uh, do, do you? I mean, it's you know, it's funny that you that you would loop the dog whisper in with a conversation about these. Um, these these advice givers. I mean, do you, do you feel like uh, do you feel like there's a very definite parallel? I think there's a right way to do things, and I think there's a right way to be. And I think there's lots of different opinions, and people don't agree with me. And I think everyone thinks they know the right way to be, which is yeah. why I'm not going to give them advice unless they ask. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think calm, assertive leadership works for dogs, and I think it works for humans. Uh, for example, if someone's in charge of me if i'm say that i am um i need i have a tour manager or someone's hosting an event or someone's bringing me from out of town if they have calm assertive energy i am ready to follow them anywhere and i just know that no matter what happens everything will be okay but if somebody is like spazzing out or they're letting me see how afraid they are all the time or they're like their energies back and forth i'm going to feel unstable and like i need to start hoarding coffee and hoarding food snacks and like maybe looking for a box to sleep in does that make sense yeah yeah to like to, to, sort of energy works for every situation sure i i don't i'm not i'm, I'm not entirely sure how that uh, extends to relationships necessarily relationships yeah. uh it doesn't necessarily extend to relationships okay. except for you need to monitor your own energy by being um Taking care of yourself first. Mm -hmm. So if you are solid in yourself, if you're taking care of yourself in every way, if you're seeing the people you need to see, doing the things you need to do, like meditating or exercising or eating well or whatever, whatever, to like be 100% like loving yourself, then you have extra love to give someone else, then you can be in a relationship. But if you have like unstable, frantic, weird energy and you're just taking them to like fill a hole... 
or you're just like taking them so that you can hang on to them as you slowly descend into madness. Mm. That's not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, from like, you know, my, my, my mother used to listen to a lot of Dr. Laura and, and from all that I've heard, the uh, uh, overarching theme seems to be just kind of like, get, just get your shit together and then, and then everything else will kind of fall in line from there. Yeah, I think that that's true. Dr. Laura definitely, there's a thing in advice and it used to make me gasp, but now I feel like I understand it differently, which is they always tell you something so extreme. Like, people will call her and say, I've been married to this man for 20 years. And she's mm-hmm. like, dump, you know, time for a divorce. Mm. Or Dan Savage will say, you know, dump the motherfucker already about people. They're like, we're so in love, but we have this sexual incompatibility. And he's like, dump the motherfucker already. And it sounds so extreme. But you have to know that people aren't going to take your advice to the T that minute. They're going to take it as an idea. Like a metaphor for what they should do or an idea of what the ideal is that they could do, but maybe they're not going to do it. Okay. Cause dumping them doesn't seem like a particularly good metaphor necessarily in the context of relationship. I guess I was thinking about it. Like how I think of the Bible as a metaphor. Like you just take it and you're like, Oh, maybe Jesus living forever is not actually like walking around forever. Maybe it's that he lives forever in our hearts. And so that's our because we'll always talk about it. I, I think I think getting people to think in the extremes kind of gets them to sort of stop in their tracks and take stock of things at the same time, also. And I think maybe that's what I'm good for in this way is yeah. I don't mind telling them the extreme, and then just trust that they'll do what's right for them. Do you have a, a question or two? No. Oh, I thought we had questions. We did a long time ago. Oh, you used them up. So bad. No. Wait, I might have one question. Okay. Hold on, I do actually. You don't remember that at all, that exchange? I think it was on Facebook? No. I could look it up. No, it's fine. You've been, uh, you've been on a whirlwind trip, I understand. I just moved across the country and then went to France. Wait, you, you live in Virginia now? For the next semester. Oh. I live in Virginia now. Huh. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You, yeah. You can come up, come up to New York and hang out? Yeah. Huh? I want to go, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I'm definitely going to go there for Mocha, but um, Facebook keeps offering me cheap tickets to see Fun Home, so I'm trying to think about how to get up there. This is is for you and me. Okay. It says, I have a genuine question that's kind of arrogant sounding. Okay. How do you, Mm. as someone with a public following, Mm. deal with people projecting all their shit onto you? I have a minor internet following, and I'm getting really disconcerted by total strangers assuming this intimacy with me based on nothing at all. It's creepy. Signed, confused in California. I have to just appreciate the fact that they are reading my work, enjoying my work, that they feel close to me, but then I need to detach. And sometimes that means being more private in my, the rest of my life than I otherwise was. Like, way more private in the rest of my life than I was before I started having strangers know more about my life. The reason why, you know, and and again, this is not something that I have gotten much of at all, but the reason why people are seeing themselves in you is because you're offering something so personal out there. And that's something that they're able to, to, to relate to. Have you ever regretted offering up i mean your your book like you mentioned before your book you know your book is incredibly personal it's it's has impacted 
you know, not only a, a pub, your public persona, but it has impacted the, like these personal relationships in your life. Has there been a point since the book came out beyond uh, the, you know, the ways in which you interacted with some of the people in the book, but has there been a point where you've regretted being so personal? I mean, like, like for example, um, I talked to, uh, to, uh, to Tom Hart last week. He's Mm -hmm. going to be on an upcoming show and Mm -hmm. He he's his book that just came out is like the like one of the most devastating and personal things a, per, a person can go through. And um, the question that I asked him was, you know, not so much like about the grief of the process of writing it, or you know, even like the grief of the process of he was he was in New York to give a couple of uh, presentations he had done Barnes and Noble the night before and was doing society of illustrators that night. And, um, you know, the question that I asked him was, um, I assume that you, you, you do a book like this, you go out there and the minute you're done with the talk and, and you walk into the crowd, like people are going to come up to you and they're going to tell you these incredibly heartbreaking stories about losing their own children. And that's, I mean, that's got to be an instance where, where it's going to be hard. I mean, and maybe that's not so much projecting, having somebody project their own shit on you as having you, uh, having to kind of live it over again in a sense. Mm. Hmm. I don't know if I feel like I have to live it over again until people start to pry. It doesn't ever feel sensitive anymore. What, what have you have you have you had an interaction with somebody that like I mean I'm, I'm sure that you've like people have told you some really personal stories and yeah. um you know I mean and you've you've not only put yourself out there through having written the book but also as somebody who's like gathering advice for, from people um I just got to imagine that that's got to be emotionally exhausting um it it gets emotionally exhausting sometimes. Um, people do come up to me and tell me insane family secrets or personal things. And I feel very lucky and happy that I have been able to build a bridge with them or offer them that opportunity. But I, I don't necessarily take on their family secret, you know? Yeah. Or I'm not like, struck like me too um it's more like when people pry when people try to pry too far Mm -hmm. i feel sensitive like if they want to know too much about my mom now too much about my sister now, too much about my dad's family now i'm like you don't get that you have this i gave you this take that and that's that's it that's what you get um but it's made it weird a little bit sometimes with meeting new people like dating Mm. It's made it weird, not in a way, I don't know how to describe it. It's a very unique experience to me, so I don't imagine anyone else actually feeling a bond with me in this moment when I'm saying this, but um, people will get my book if we start dating, and then they will feel like they've had an intimate experience with me, but I actually wasn't there for it. So, like, say that I knew you for, like, a couple weeks, and we were, like, in limerence, like, we were, woo, excited, and then somebody, and then you or the person went and got my book. 
And then they felt like I had just told them some incredibly heart-wrenching mm. life story. So then they come back to me and they are softened to me or excited in a way that's not appropriate for how long we've known each other. Yeah. Does that make sense? Do they, does that speed up their own, I mean, do they, do they start admitting things to you because they know all of this super personal stuff about you? Uh, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to get that level of um, personal detail from somebody. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of details. Surely because of the book, though, like you've had interactions with people who assume that they, that they know you. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's, I think that gets back to her question. That's what the concern is, is that, you know, I, I think that's what she means when she says people sort of projecting things onto you, that because of what you've put out in the world, that people assume a certain level of familiarity with you. Again, this is, yeah. I can't, I can't speak to this because, um, the things that I put out there have been like very, very surface level and, and, you know, and it's, and it's generally fine and people are friendly and it's nice. And I've never, you know, what, what I've offered up is sort of like personally, uh, uh, personally is in dribs of drags and in the larger context of a conversation with somebody else. No, you know, no, nobody is listening to, uh, you know, my conversation with, whoever necessarily to like hear what I'm saying they're they're they want to know what I'm getting out of the other person but um because of what you've put out there because you put this 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 book out there because you've been doing uh these comics for a while I've got to assume that there are situations where you know you go to a comic show you bump into somebody and it's just like you guys you know they're treating it like they've known you forever um that happens that's happened for a while but with this book, I remember when it came out, one cartoonist was like, or some, somebody was like, oh, now I understand why you are the way you are. But it was somebody who doesn't actually know me. It's someone who's read Invincible Summer or read Clutch's depictions of me being a bitch to him. <laughs> and then they read this book and they're like, now I understand why you are the way you are. And now I, was like, I know why you're such a bitch. I was like, what are you talking about? But people have been doing that to me for years because like, Clutch has been drawing those pictures of me being like, you're stupid, Clutch, which is not how our friendship is at all. Um, He's been publishing that for years. So people in Portland have like, like men I know in comics have drawn me hitting men. They have drawn me yelling at men. They've drawn me with pointy teeth. They've drawn me with veins coming out of my neck, sweating, screaming, spitting at men. And these are my friends. These are people I'm still friends with, but they've drawn these things uh and so people in portland at least or cuisine things will walk around and be like whoa yeah whoa i know how you are um but you can't but you know as somebody who's like who's who's depicted like people in your life in a personal way i mean do you feel like you can't necessarily uh defend yourself oh i'm very kind to the people that i depict yeah like even Radar, the girlfriend in the book, like, she got a good, she got a good read. Like, she looks cute. I edited out some gnarly things. Mm. Like, I tried to show her motivation. I tried to show from her perspective yep. as much as I could. Or I mean, when I was writing the book, for every good thing, for every bad thing a person did to me or had seemed like a bad thing was happening, I would put in one good thing for their character. So, like, my mom, I would make a list. Here's all the shitty things I show my mom doing. Let me show things my mom did that were not shitty because every person has two sides. 
So getting back to the question, I assume yeah. not, not all of your answers are, are, are this long or maybe they are, maybe that's they're part like, of- so they're all like an hour and a half long. Okay. Uh, when you are encountering one of these people who assumes they know you, do you, do, do, do you feel it necessary to, to work against that? Um, or do you just kind of, I mean, you seem like somebody who just kind of go with it as much as you can. Um, I find it vaguely annoying only when people try to psychoanalyze me mm-hmm. in front of me, mm-hmm. um, because generally they're not actually psychoanalysts. So they're using some kind of weird, you know, pop bullshit, but I just, I just enjoy the moment I have with them. It's like part customer service and part the fact that I just love human beings so if they're not being too annoying, I try to just enjoy the time we have together. I know they don't know me, actually. And so it doesn't matter. You know, like, um, it's, none of, it's, not my, it's none of my business what other people think of me. So if somebody wants to create something about me in their head, that's fine. If they want to be nice to me in the moment and try to bond, we can bond in that moment. And then I still have myself. So sense, like, I just, I just detach. So, 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 but this is interesting to me because, you know, so, so, I mean, this is a case where you're, you you've, you've got some definite life experience that you're bringing to the table here. She, she is asking you, and we can, we can even like read the question over again, see exactly what the wording was, but, but how do you take that life experience and translate that into an answer for her? Well, I actually, actually, Brian, I said the answer mm-hmm. like 40 minutes ago, okay. which is, which is. Let me, uh, eh. how do you deal with people projecting all their shit onto you? You just, that's it. It's just other people's opinion of you is none of your business. You just detach. And mm-hmm. sometimes you could call it, um, uh, what is it called when you leave your body, which is not actually healthy? Um, when you like just an out of body experience or well, what is the word called when people, um, are being traumatized and then they leave their body. Basically, you kind of have to live in denial and just keep doing your work. Yeah. You just keep doing your work. You're an artist, you're just an artist. You're a writer, just a writer. Just keep doing your work. It's not your business what other people think of you. Hopefully, people will like you so you can keep doing that. And then if people come at you with things you don't like, take what you like and leave the rest. If they come up to you and they say, I love you, and then they say something really inappropriate, leave that part behind. Just accept the good part that they said or try to. And thank them and think of it as customer service too, yeah. because you need them to keep going and just go move on. I always, I, I, I've always had this thing or, you know, I felt like people should, everybody, you know, in the way that, um, in Israel, you have to do a certain, certain number of years of, uh, like military, right. Mm-hmm. You have to like be in the army for like a couple of years. I think everybody in, you know, in the United States should have to, like maybe after college or before college do two years of customer service. Yeah. Everybody should have to work in like food service or retail or something like that, just in order to gain a certain level of human decency and to know how to like treat people who are in effect, just kind of waiting on you. I guess it's like a level of humanity. Yeah. You know, so like someone comes up to me and they're treating me like a weird, I've been, they're treating me like a weird animal in a cage. You know, like a thing where I'm tabling. I'm yeah. just on display all day. It's just like, 
here's Nicole on display. Just like walk up and look at the freak show. Well, that's another thing. I mean, as somebody who's always on the other side of it, like I, I don't, I, I don't know how to deal with that either where, um, you know, where, where I'm walking around this thing all day and, and I'm walking around, I'm looking at people's things and they like, you know, invariably you'll get to a table where you'll pick something up, realize that, um, it's not what you thought it was, or it's not for you. And like, what it, what is, what's the protocol for something like that? I just sort of like pick it up. I go, Oh, and then I say hi to the person and like leave. But you always like, you know, particularly I used to go to um, the SVA show, uh, fresh meat, which, which is like, I think it's like the senior class shows off all their stuff. And I would just see all these like, you know, fresh faced kids out there for the first time. They were like really showing their stuff off and like, I, I, every single time I left the table feeling terrible. Yeah. Just like, you know, and there, there, there's always going to be just these, there's always going to be the tables where everybody, you know, everybody flocks to. And then there's always going to be the kind of like the little neglected tables in the corner. You can't, you know, you, it's like going to the, the, the animal shelter. Like you can't adopt every animal. Um, you just, you have to find a way to kind of like navigate through there and try to, be a, a decent person on some level while, you know, not sp- not spending all of your money for the sake of making everybody feel a little bit better about something that they did. That's, I mean, that it's very hard. I think from the other side of the table, it's worse when people try to make an excuse to you why they're not buying it. Mm. To me, and I'm different, I think, than like the kid in the corner for their first show because I'm like an old an old haggard road dog. I'm just the, like, yeah, you're the old lady, as they say in France. As they say in France, I'm just like, it's not a fucking lending library. Keep, keep moving. Keep yeah. walking. Like, you're not going to buy it. I don't need to hear why. Just keep moving because there's another customer who will come up or, or at least I'll be alone and I can text or something. But, there, but there's a certain, you know, there, there's something that comes with knowing that there's always going to be another person. I mean, that's not, you, you don't get that sense from your first show. I think, yeah. At this point, it's hard for me to remember. I, I kind of am like, I would rather be alone at this table than have to nod and smile while you explain to me how you don't have any money, but maybe you'd buy this if you did, but you don't. And like, oh, this is nice. But like, I'd rather people come up, they look at it, they smile at me or say thanks. Or like, this is really beautiful. Thank you. And just walk on. So should you find, should you, should you try to find the good in, in something and say a complimentary thing and then move on? Is that, is that the way to handle it? Or should you only say a complimentary thing if you have a complimentary thing to say? Make it real. Yeah. Any of these things, it can't be bullshit because people will be able to tell. So what What if it's not real? You just move on? You say, thank you so much. Okay. Or like, have a great show. C- customer service on both sides of the table. Customer service on both sides of the table. Yeah. I just think like, what would I want? I just want someone to be like, thank you. Or uh, have a good show. That's That's all I need. There you go. There's Nicole George. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, we had been talking about her launching a podcast for for some time now, and and uh, talking about getting her on the show to to talk about it. We tried this a few weeks ago. Had some technical difficulties. Um, you probably figured it out pretty early on into this conversation that the entire thing was done over Skype. So uh, still a few audio glitches here and there, but uh, it, it, it went pretty smoothly so far as Skype conversations go for the most part. Uh, but we had a, a fun conversation before, had to scrap the whole thing and start over again. Uh, but uh, always 
always enjoy an excuse to talk to Nicole. Um, always, always a pleasure having her on the podcast. Her new show, if you enjoyed the sound of her voice, you can check it out uh, starting this Friday, Sagittarian Matters at sagittarianmatters.tumblr.com. Just just in time for Valentine's Day, all of your Nicole George-related information. Uh, thanks to her for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to, um, yeah, I'll thank Brian. I edited this thing together, but uh, he does most of the heavy lifting on the show. So thanks to Brian for all the much better editing jobs that he tends to do on this year's podcast. Thanks to everybody at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, many other fine shows you can check out at boingboing.net or over at iTunes. Uh, please rate us on iTunes when you have a chance. Uh, lots of uh, lots of other good shows coming up in the near future. Got some uh, some more bonus episodes lined up as well. So I hope you enjoyed this. Plenty more coming at you. Stick around. We will be back in uh, a few days from now with another episode of RIYL. I think it's a really good idea for a show is that somebody leaves you a, a Google voice and then you try to uh, answer the question based on the terrible Google transcript? Not only are they getting a little bit of advice, but they're also getting to practice good diction. Yeah, maybe they're getting advice that they didn't know that they needed. They, they maybe not didn't know that that was the undercurrent of their That's call. right. Oh, it could have been like, like Freudian. Yeah, or also it's like reading your tea leaves or something. Yeah. Or but maybe oh. maybe they were maybe they were subconsciously sending messages in their poor speech pattern. Yeah, well, you know, like using Google. Wait, what is it called when I dictate to my phone and I'm doing text messages? So you yeah. get to announce the punctuation. I didn't realize how much I mumbled until I started having to speak into my phone and have it translate. I think that. Do you do that? Well, I don't. I don't actually do a, a lot of voice transcriptions, but I. But I think this is really interesting because, um, who was I? Oh, I, I went to. So I'm wearing my glasses. I, I'm wearing glasses now, and I went to an, uh, an optometrist for the first time since I was probably in junior high school, and he was complaining to me about how bad my handwriting was, and and. Uh, then he started talking about his son and, and, you know, and just the fact that, that they, like, I, I, don't, I, I think I could probably write in cursive if I tried. I just, I haven't in a long time. But he was saying that his son, who, um, I mean, I think it's like, like 12, just can't even read cursive. Like, it's totally out the window. Not only are yeah. they not teaching kids how, how to write in it, but the kids can't even read it at this point. But I'm wondering if, like, because this, this sounds like... You know, we're always talking about all these negative implications from technology, one of which is that, like, none of us can write with our hands anymore, but maybe maybe we'll all speak better in the future. We'll all speak better because we'll have to, and we'll also have to announce punctuation. Hello, exclamation point. It's me, comma, Nicole, period. You're very good at that. I wanted to know if we could change the time, question mark.